welcome friends, casual bystanders, fanatics, everyone who may be tuning into this. This is episode 12 of F1 Mode Push. We will be previewing the Austin Grand Prix. We are heading to Texas. Before we get into all of that, I wish to remind you that we would love to hear from you. Uh, If you don't already, you should follow us on Twitter at F1 Mode Push, where we are frequently commenting about the ups and downs of the day. You can also reach us by email at modepushpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts, questions, comments, rants. If you're as outraged as we are about the cost cap, or maybe you think differently than we do, we want to hear from you. So reach out. Oh, by the way, she is Jeannie, the somewhat younger one. She's just had a birthday, so. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not as young as I was a week ago. Uh, And he is Buzzsher, the still older one on the show. No matter how old I get, he will be the older, wiser one on the show. The decrepit one, as my youngest daughter refers to me. Oh, that I'm sure she says that in an endearing tone of voice. Yeah, with great love. With yes, great love. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Before we dive into the Austin Grand Prix, we're going to do a little bit of silly season updates. There aren't actually that many updates. We're kind of getting to the end of silly season with most drivers uh, either locked in or like Danny Rick, pretty confident he will not be on the grid next year. Uh, but a couple things. The Hossie is the one kind of still making headlines, mostly because Gunther Steiner can't make up his mind. Uh, he did say this week that Mick Schumacher has a quote home advantage to keep his seat for 2023 because the team has already been working with him for two years. On the other hand, there's also reporting this week that Steiner's in regular communication with Nico Hulkenberg and is, quote, impressed at the relentlessness of Hulkenberg's phone calls. It's a sad commentary that the basis for selecting next year's second driver at Haas is how many times you get on the phone. Uh, That sums up a lot of what's going on at Haas. Yeah, I think the challenge for Mick, as we'll talk about later at the Austin Grand Prix, is not to crash the car. I think if he crashes the car in Austin, good luck getting a a seat next year at Haas. Yeah, it'll. this, I mean, there's only four races left, so like every race could be a make or break moment. Uh, But Haas hasn't scored points in the last seven races so if if mick wanted to really maybe seal a deal coming in in the points this weekend would do him a world of good on the other hand don't crash whatever you do mick don't crash exactly on the french front otherwise known as alpine Ocon and Gasly have been giving their marching orders and their talking points. They've done a few joint interviews. They've done apparently a photo shoot together, and they are talking sweet nothings, at least to the press. Asked by Motorsport.com this week if they'll be able to work together, given all the rumblings about the bad blood between them. Ocon said this week, quote, yeah, we will do. And to be honest, I think it's an awesome story to tell. Yeah, compare that with the news that uh, got out this week, uh, the rumors that you really can't make this stuff up. I was going to say, this is just, (laughs) this is wonderful. That uh, apparently Alpine has put in place a policy that the families of the two drivers, each family can go to no more than three races, and the two families cannot be at the same race together. 
That is not a policy you put in place when you are expecting harmony. I'm sure once Alpine gets wind of this exposure of this policy, they'll deny any such policy. Oh, yeah. They'll have complete confidence that their two drivers get along and the families get along and they even vacation together. Part of where that comes from is in the past, some of the tension between Ocon and Gasly has been between their families, not between the drivers themselves. Nothing like a little family feud to oh. to excite the drama next year. <laughs> we, we again, as much as uh, Jeannie and I are deeply committed to the motorsports part of F1. Uh, the soap social- opera facet of it is uh, just as entertaining. Icing on the cake. It really is. Uh, but coming back to this season still, the update on the cost cap. (laughs) There is no update, and that is not a surprise. We would expect this process to take quite some time. If you remember Williams, who had just kind of an administrative violation this year, even that took a few months to come to resolution. So this, which is a much bigger deal than a mere administrative deadline missed. Uh, This is going to take a while. The FIA doesn't quite know what it's doing just yet. Red Bull is going to fight it tooth and nail. It it could be a while before we... Yeah, the dynamics of what's practically speaking, what's going on, if you look at the financial regulations, what's going on is uh, one of two things is going to happen at some point. They're either going to, Red Bull and uh, the Cost Cap Administration, CCA, are either going to agree to a plea bargain, um, which my understanding is that takes a loss of driver's points off the table, but requires an an admission of guilt. and Very plea bargain-like. You know, we'll take jail time off the table, but you have to admit you fucked up. Yeah, and you're going to be on probation, you know, you're going to have monitoring with certain conditions on it, etc., Um, Or uh, if they can't reach an agreement, then what will happen is they'll be they'll go to the CCAP, the Cost Cap Administration panel in three independent judges, uh, and they'll litigate the issue where everything's on the table, including championship points, including championship points, both driver and constructor. Um, so, you know, this is kind of classic. This is what I used to do for a living. I used to negotiate plea bargains for the huge majority of my clients with a prosecutor. And I'd look for my leverage and the prosecutor would look for their leverage. You know, CCA will go to, if they're competent and uh, know what they're doing and appreciate. Which is not at all certain. And appreciate what leverage is about. And this is a power fight. It's not a let's, you know, can't we all just get along fight? Uh, What they'll do is they'll say to Red Bull, look, we can take points reduction off the table, but you got to admit guilt. You got to, you got to lose some aerodynamic wind tunnel time. You got to be subject to significant financial monitoring with monthly reports. You've got to agree to not only admit guilt, but agree to the kind of stuff so that we can look like we've done some serious punishment of you. And so far, Red Bull is refusing to admit that it it broke the cost cap, which would be a minimum requirement for any kind of plea bargain, is they'd actually have to admit that they breached the cap. Red Bull, on the other hand, is going to say, nope, you know, their leverage is, you know, if we go to a CCAP, the administration panel, uh, you could lose this thing totally. And we could come out clean. 
And uh, then, boy, you'll look really yeah. bad. You'll have all sorts of egg on your face. But the problem is that's why rational actors, when they're negotiating plea bargains, go about it. They articulate their leverage. They hear the other side's leverage and they see if there's space for agreement or whether they go to trial with all the risks attendant to going to trial. Red Bull is anything but cool headed right now would be my guess. Well, Red Bull at every turn has indicated they continue to be awesomely arrogant. We are we are the bee's knees. We did nothing yeah. wrong and we can prove it. Yeah. Um, and the CCA and FIA has proven over and over again that they are incredibly defensive and appear very inconsistent in their application of penalties, particularly when it relates to one uh, team versus another team. So, you know, the emotion of defensiveness and the emotion of arrogance uh, yeah. are going to collide in this, uh, in this and it's going to be entertaining and incredibly messy. And frustrating because I it, the reports are just going to, continue to be dominated by speculation because we don't have the financials, right? The FIA announced that Red Bull breached the cost cap, but they haven't announced any of the specifics. None of the reporting is being released. What's interesting is the teams, I mean, we saw this even before the breach was confirmed, but we are definitely seeing Red Bull and Mercedes almost litigate this. Like they, they are making their strong case and what i really detest helmet marco i really really detest him and i don't trust a word he says however i think it's notable that he said this week quote we still believe that we didn't break the cost cap rule at all shocking i know discussions with the fia are ongoing let's see what finally comes out of it but he also said, quote, rumors that Max could lose his world title in 2021, for example, are complete nonsense. The past has shown that even extreme violations of the regulations were punished very mildly by the FIA. Now, to me, that sounds like a team that kind of went back and forth and said, you know what? We think we can breach this and we think we can get away with it. Sounds like right now they're headed to... Uh, a CCAP, not an ABA. Now, interestingly and entertainingly from our perspective, uh, Bernie Ecclestone, the former owner of F1, when asked, do you think they'll take championship points away from Red Bull and a championship away from Red Bull? He said, it's going to be much worse than that. Which it should be. Like if the FIA has a backbone and cares about the integrity of this sport, the FIA needs to crack down on this and set a precedent that any breach will be severely punished because the alternative is what Toto just said is what Toto has been saying, which is Mercedes is already planning how it could breach the cost cap. In the event that the FIA does not crack down on Red Bull, Mercedes is is blatantly saying, then we're going to disregard the cost cap too because we are disadvantaging ourselves if we know for a fact that you can breach the cost cap with no consequence. On the one hand, it's awesomely interesting. On the other hand, to speak very much like the lawyer that I am, on the other hand, you know, it's like watching a friend fall apart. You know, FIA is just 
handling this really poorly. At the least, Jeannie and I are more than willing uh, going forward to charge uh, not an exorbitant fee to be their new PR team and to manage uh, communications for FIA. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more communications cannot make up for crappy decision making. So like, yeah, they haven't handled this from a PR standpoint well, but I think the crappy PR reflects crappy administration. I don't think they have a sense of how to handle this. They're kind of going about this like they're lost in the dark. Yeah, they're not pros, you know. Yeah. Good communications would at least have said, as directed by the administration. But again, good comms relies on clear decision-making behind the scenes. You have to have something to to say. Good comms would be channeling what the administration is telling them to do. Lay out from the beginning the process, step by step. We By this date, we're going to do this. Then... There's either an ABA or a CCAP, and here's what each of those things mean. I mean, that's just fundamental. Lay out the process. Uh, It it makes makes it look like you're not making it up as you're going along. Now, you're you're correct, Jeannie. The administration of FIA needs to tell the comms people. Yeah, the comms is reflecting, I think, the internal chaos that is the FIA right now. I'm guessing the comms team is going to leadership and saying, please give us more than this. They may have already pulled out all the hair they may have had to start with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like Alpine's legal team, Alpine's legal team and the FIA's comms department (laughs) should get a drink together. If either of those actually exist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. One last note, which neither Buzz nor I are excited about, and that is that Saudi Arabia is reportedly interested in hosting two F1 races after 2026. Uh, The country obviously has a current race. They have uh, a race on the calendar in Jeddah, which is a street circuit. But the country is also in the process of building a state-of-the-art facility near Riyadh, which will be a permanent circuit. So rather than abandoning Jeddah and just taking to the permanent track, Saudi Arabia is contemplating hosting two, which is much to our chagrin because we think there should be Zero Saudi Arabia. I think there's a little bit of money behind this effort on the part of Saudi Arabia. You think? Just maybe. Let me ask you this question, Jeannie. Is this the same Saudi Arabia that just uh, sided with uh, Russia in dropping production of oil to the advantage of Russia's ability to get more money for their illegal war? You mean the Russia that F1 kicked off the calendar because of their unjustified illegal... Uh, the very same Russia, uh, and apparently yeah. the very same Saudi mm. Arabia. Mm. Um, the other problem with Saudi Arabia, as I think we've talked about before, is they have an abysmal human rights record, putting aside uh, the yeah. crown prince uh, killing a Saudi Arabian and American citizen journalist and not being called out by the United States in any effective form by that. But Independent of that, it's an oppressive regime, authoritarian regime that is in an ugly war itself with Yemen. Yeah, it's I I always again, we've talked about this. We don't think F1 should be going there and they definitely shouldn't be going there twice. All right, let's move to let's move to (laughs) neither of us are making those decisions yet. Let's go to Texas. Texas. Yes, which has its own share of problems. (laughs) 
just an opening note. So this is called, uh, we're going to Austin, the Circuit of the Americas, which is known as CODA. You will hear that a lot. Uh, but what's funny to me is, you know, F1 is ultimately a European dominated sport. And so when you see the Austin GP listed, it says Austin USA, which is never how an American would refer to Austin. In the U.S., as you know, there are 50 states and the states are very dominant. So you you always list a city followed by its state. So you would never say like Los Angeles, USA. You would say Los Angeles, California. Or Portsmouth, USA, where I live. No, you would say Portsmouth, New Hampshire, because nobody would know what the hell you're talking about otherwise. Because there so is Austin- a Portsmouth, Virginia. <laughs> As well as a Portsmouth, England. I think there's a Portsmouth in a <laughs> yeah. in a lot of states, um, but I keep I keep seeing references to Austin, USA. And once you come to Austin, everyone, it'll be known as Austin, Texas. Now, Jeannie lives in a special space. She lives in. I don't live in a state. I live in a freaking district yep. because we're being denied statehood. Ugh, but that that's a, that is a that is a soapbox for another day. Right. Uh, Buzz, introduce us to Austin, Texas. All right. So Texas, the state of Texas, is uh, the second biggest state geographically in terms of coverage in the United States behind Alaska and the second biggest state population wise in the United States behind California. It is, uh, it, it has been for a number of years, a Republican state. People keep predicting that it's going to turn into a purple state, sometimes Republican, sometimes Democratic. Hasn't happened yet for a while. It produced three presidents that I recall, the, the two Bushes, and Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, the last Democratic governor of Texas, uh, referred to George W. Bush, the first George W. Bush pair, as they say in French, um, as he was born with a silver foot in his mouth, making fun of all his malapropisms. It's like one of the great political descriptions of all time, to my thinking. Lyndon Baines Johnson was so classically Texas and in many ways classically American. He was one of the, he was a very corrupt politician in the way he got elected to office. He would be, he would be buying votes, particularly when he was elected as senator. He would be in Texas. He'd he'd buy votes. He'd make sure votes didn't get counted. He'd stuff ballot boxes. That said, in my lifetime, which is quite substantial, he is an iconic president. He was the author of The Great Society, uh, The War on Poverty. He got passed through the uh, U.S., a very conservative U.S. Senate and House, the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, and any number of other uh, really positive social... Historic pieces of legislation. Yeah, historic pieces of uh, legislation. So he's that wonderful and complicated contrast, and totally corrupt, and he used his corruption to good end, um, for, or to sli- only slightly oversimplify it. Uh, in terms of culture, a wonderful uh, food state, the home of one version of barbecue. Those of you who are not from the United States don't appreciate that. 
we have different regions in the United States that fight over who has the best barbecue. Uh, Texas is one of those regions. It has what's also known, uh, it's got its own style of Mexican food known fondly as Tex-Mex, which is not Mexican food. It's the the Texas adaptation of Mexican food. Shall we say it's a little heavier than classic Mexican food? A little more American. A little more, a lot of carbs involved in Tex-Mex. Yep. One more thing in terms of food, Houston, Texas, the home of both of the Bushes for for many years. Houston is a wonderful food city. Got awesome variety, fantastic restaurants there. I highly recommend it to those of you if you can see clear to go to the state of Texas. Uh, Houston's also the most diverse city in the United States. Which is probably part of the reason it's such a good food city. Very much so. Heavy Southeast Asian influence, Caribbean influence, uh, Mexican influence, Native American influence. It's it's really, a uh, you know, you can spend a week or two there eating uh, wonderfully. In terms of uh, culture, Houston is one of the five cities in the United States that has uh, an opera, a symphony, a ballet, and a uh, year-round professional theater. Uh, there's just not that many, so it's, it's, it's too many in the United States think of Texas as culturally bereft. It is not that when you have cities like Houston. And then you know, finally, uh, the city of Dallas had uh, a region back in the uh, the deep Elam region uh, back in the 20s and 30s, where it was a big jazz and blues location for the entire southern United States. And for example, blues icons like Blind Lemon Jefferson, Robert Johnson, Lead Belly, also known as Huddy Ledbetter, and Bessie Smith all played at clubs in Deep Elon. I'm a big uh, blues fan, so would that I could have heard any of them. So good music, very good music in Texas, country western music, cowboy music. Austin is the live music capital of the United States. It's got the longest running live music TV series, uh, Austin City Limits. And for the last thing I mentioned, it has the, uh, it's also got, it's the San Antonio is the Tejano music capital of the world, which is very, very popular in southern Texas. Therein, uh, I will add one more less positive point that uh, Texas arguably has the meanest spirited anti-abortion law in the United States. They put into place legislation last year that allows uh, a private citizen to sue somebody who they believe has gotten an abortion in violation of the statute, or somebody who has aided somebody in getting an abortion in violation of the statute. And if they win, that person owes them $10,000. So it's a privately... It's a vigilanticism. It is so... As someone with a uterus, it is terrifying. Yeah. It's vigilante anti-abortion legislation. Yeah. Austin is a, a delightful city. It, it is a liberal bastion in, in the state of Texas. But if you have a uterus, Texas is a dangerous place to go right now. Well put. Anyway, let's talk about so, the, yeah, the, we, on that we will, downer. <laughs> we will talk about the Austin GP, uh, which is routinely considered one of drivers' favorite races. It always had kind of a carnival-like atmosphere, uh, Coda, the Circuit of the Americas, is a permanent track, festival-like, 
in terms of the circuit itself, it is kind of an undulating counterclockwise circuit that brings some variety. It is 5.5 kilometers in length. The entire race will consist of 56 laps. The fastest recorded lap time is 1 minute 36.169 seconds, which was recorded by Charles Leclerc in 2019. This is a fast track with roughly 73% of the laps spent on full throttle. Might that favor a particular team? Yes. We'll talk about that later, perhaps. Uh, One interesting thing about this track is the first corner is up a hill from the starting line, which I always find interesting. Uh, There are two DRS zones on on the track. However, no, this is a very, very good track for overtaking. And that reputation was established with previous generations of F1 cars. So if last year's cars, for instance, enjoyed overtaking on the circuit, this generation of cars will have a fabulous time overtaking on this circuit. Track limits are an issue and they are policed by the stewards, particularly turns nine and 19, where drivers can definitely gain an advantage by going off track. So be mindful of times that could be deleted during qualifying, for instance. Uh, This was a two pit stop race for every single driver last year, and we would anticipate that to be the same thing this year. Good news for Buzz Danny Rick loves himself some Texas, and he he has had a couple DNFs here. But when he does finish, he generally has a good record at Coda uh, and beat his teammate last year. He will be finishing in the points this race. Is that one of your predictions? That's one of my predictions. What I was going to interrupt and point out is there's wonderful pictures and video yesterday of 81-year-old Mario Andretti, the one of the iconic figures in all of motorsports, F1, uh, IndyCar, driving around Coda in a McLaren, yeah. uh, and seemed to be doing quite a good job at it. It was really a sweet thing to watch. It's a fun circuit. This is the fourth to last race of the season. And as some of you may have noted, very few teams have fulfilled their young driver requirement for the season. So we're going to start to see a number of uh, FP1s where we have young drivers uh, occupying seats. So for for this weekend, we know that Alex Pillow will be in Danny Rick's seat for FP1. Uh, And in terms of McLaren, they have already announced that Pedro Award will be in Lando's car in opening practice at Abu Dhabi. Speaking of Pelot, though, who has was part of the silly season, early silly season, uh, was asked about driving in Austin this weekend. And he said, quote, I'm so excited to be making my F1 weekend debut. It's great to be driving in the United States in front of fans that may have seen me race in IndyCar. Oh, that sounds familiar. IndyCar. Yeah, this perfectly encapsulates a point that Buzz and I have been consistently making all season, which is the FIA really, really needs to be uh, more open to increased ties with IndyCar. For a sport that is trying to build an American fan base, bringing in more IndyCar drivers would be one way of bringing more fans to the sport. But alas, one thing that's happening with Award and uh, Palu uh, doing uh, free practice is they're getting one point each on their super license for F1. <laughs> they obviously need more than one. They to need drive an thirty-nine F1, more, hey, right? Right. Yeah, it is a step in the right direction. Um, 
In terms of weather, unlike the last two weekends, we anticipate a completely dry race weekend. Uh, The weather forecast right now has a beautiful 85-degree race weekend. So, And given Texas, you can almost bank on that. It is going to be hot. It is going to be sunny. It's going to be hot, particularly hot in them their cockpits. Yes. Expect some ice baths ahead of time. So, speculation, Jeannie. What's you looking forward to the most? And <laughs> Yes, I uh, about that. What are you looking forward to? I, for one, unlike most race weekends, the thing I am looking forward to most is actually not going to be happening on the racetrack. I am looking forward to the team principal's press conference on Thursday. Mostly, and really only if... F1 gives us what we all want, which is a team principal's press conference with Toto Wolff, Christian Horner, and Mattia Binotto. That would just be awesome. What do you think they'll talk about? Right. I expect maybe, maybe, maybe they'd be asked about the cost gap. Uh, Last year, there were a few press conferences where they intentionally put Toto and Christian together and nobody else. It was just Toto and Christian. And I'm still convinced that part of that was for Netflix's advantage. And if I was Netflix right now, I would be calling saying, you have to make this happen. We'll pay you an extra million plus we will devote an entire episode to this press conference christian and mateo uh it it would be delightful so we will we will see if and if if that doesn't happen by the way i still expect toto christian and mateo to basically be doing various press opportunities aimed at one another over the course of the weekend and maybe we'll get another one of those clips of of mateo coming out of the Mercedes uh, <laughs> shaking Toto's hand. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll get some more photo ops between Merck and Ferrari uh, teaming up together. So the race prediction. Uh, so my theory with Max always is that the the easier overtaking is on a circuit, the better Max is going to do. This is one of the best circuits on the calendar for overtaking, unless unless the FIA comes in and disqualifies Red Bull from the remainder of the season for violating the cost cap. I would expect Max to win. I can't disagree with that. Uh, you know, the seventy three. You put it earlier. Seventy three percent of the track is driven at full throttle. Boy, uh, you know, Red Bull has proven over and over again that at least in the car driven by Max and to some extent Checo, they have the fastest car. Now, why that may be, uh, yeah. it, it, it is, <laughs> there there may be a few, you know, hundred thousand dollars more invested in that thing. Either that, or maybe their car design person who makes by estimate 10 million bucks a year their lead engineer he's not on the books uh, under the uh cost cap administration wouldn't that be convenient yeah yeah i'm yeah driver salaries are not included in the cost cap but there are other salaries well interestingly the top three salaries of administrators so to speak are are excluded uh from the cost cap that Adrian Newey, his $10 million is not included. By rumor and allegation, as we lawyers say, he's identified as something along the lines of a contractor or a consultant. Uh, that's the dodge. But again, this is all yeah. rumor and speculation. Because the FIA will not just come out and explain 
the financials. Yeah, here's what Red Bull sent us. Here's yeah. what Mercedes sent us. Here's what Ferrari sent. Well, they don't have to say what Mercedes. Like none of the other teams are in dispute. When if you said Red Bull has violated the cost cap, what would be really helpful is if you came out and said, "And here's how." But well, you know, I, just to 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 play out play that out a little bit more, they can't really say how they violated it. They could say by how much. They could say by how much, but a violation is over $145 million. There's not, you know, they didn't violate it, as we've talked about before, they didn't violate it because of catering or because of a contractor. uh, But by not coming out with more details, they've allowed speculation like the catering rumor to come out. They're feeding the rumor mill with their absence of information. We go back to the uh, disconnect between uh, communications and the uh, FIA administration. Which, again, I attribute to just administrative incompetence. Uh, But in terms of predictions, Checo's obviously had a couple good weeks. Checo is good on street circuits. I don't actually think he's going to do spectacularly here, despite being in Red Bull. So if I had to predict a podium, I would say it'll be Max and the two Ferraris with Leclerc in second. Like I'd love to put Lewis up there, but uh, Mercedes has shown no ability to perform well on these kinds of tracks. It's just not, yeah. not this year. Um, my predictions: number one, I predict that I am actually going to get some sleep next weekend uh, because because it's in our time zone. It's in our time zone. Well, it's or, I mean, it's one, one hour time, off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's my prediction that I'll be well rested yeah. for next week. Prediction number two, as I already described, Danny Rick is going to finish in the points. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think it's fine? You can predict he'll be in the points. Will he place higher than Lando Norris? Yes. There you go. Bold prediction. And McLaren will take over fourth place in the Ooh. constructor series. Okay. Okay. You're, you, that is a hill that you are just insisting on dying upon and well, i you know just call I me applaud you just call me sisyphus <laughs> uh, we only have four races left so soon enough we shall we shall see uh some of the i mean again red bull clearly has won the championship until fia takes it from them but there are definitely they there is these last four races are going to be very exciting for for the lower ranks um there's definitely some vying uh, between 7th, 8th, ninth, and, well, not really 10th. Williams is going to be in 10th, but those above. We're hoping that Mick doesn't crash, too. I think uh, we both share that hope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is really We're not the predicting thing. that he doesn't he... Ca- crash. We just well, hope. thankfully, there's going to be no rain this weekend, so there will be no aquaplaning, at least. Uh, and this is a this is a permanent track, so it's harder to, you know, crash into the wall. You have to really, really want to crash into the wall at Coda. So there is some basis for our hope. Yeah. Uh, all right, everybody. It'll be, despite the woes of Texas, this is usually a wonderful race. We are looking forward to it again, in part because we will be wide awake for it. And we will be here next week with your Austin Grand Prix review and with a Mexican GP preview. We look forward to checking in with you then. Bye, all.